morning. Just wanted to say welcome to everybody joining us online this morning. We're so excited to be together. And I just wanna say from the very beginning, though it may feel a little bit different this morning, uh, I wanna encourage you that it's very much the same and that God is with you and God is here with us as we gather together online. And so we're gonna do it just like we do. We wanna invite you to stand and join us. Maybe you're joining us in your living room or in the kitchen, wherever you are this morning, stand and join us. And we're gonna jump right in and praise God with everything we've got this morning, amen.
Christ is risen from the grave. Hallelujah. Christ is risen from the grave. And all throughout eternity, our song will be the same. Hallelujah. Christ is risen from the grave.
how wonderful, how powerful is the name of Jesus. No one and nothing can stand against you, Lord. So we lift you high this morning. God, and we declare that our future is great. We are full of hope, all because of you. We have nothing to be afraid of, God, because we believe you hold the future. You are with us, you are near. So we declare your praises this morning, God. Thank you for meeting us right where we are this morning. We love you. Jesus, thank you that you gave it all for us. We give you our greatest praise this morning. We pray together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Church Online. Hey, wherever you're joining us from today, we want you to know we're so excited to have you with us. My name is Jeff Hughes and I serve as the Connections Pastor here at Union Chapel. And we want you to know that this is an amazing opportunity for you to connect with God in a way like you maybe never have before. You know, you may not know this, but hundreds of people join us for Church Online every single weekend. And today you have an opportunity to connect with God in this unique online platform. Friends, here are a couple things that you need to know. Our team and our staff are committed to continue to bring you online worship experiences for as long as needed so you can connect with God in a meaningful way. That being said, our campus here in Muncie, Indiana is closed for the time being until further notice. So all on-campus, in-person meetings, small groups and gatherings are suspended until we reach out to you with more details. Our office hours will continue to be open as normal, but we invite you to email us at info at unionchapel.com to conduct any business that can be done through email or to call our office to reach out to our staff to see if appointments are still taking place or if we can assist you in any way. Well, friends, I wanna invite you to take a moment to check in with us. You can do that through a link that our online staff will be dropping in the chat bar right now. Just click on that link, let us know you're worshiping with us, or you can check in with us through the Union Chapel mobile app. If you haven't downloaded that, you can download that. Just search Union Chapel Ministries, download that to your device, and you can check in, follow with sermon notes, give, and do a lot of great things through that mobile app. We wanna let you know about Serve Week. Serve Week, of course, is a phenomenal week of service to our community. It's coming up here in June, June 22nd through the 26th, and registration opens today. And good news, it's all online. So you can visit the link that our team will drop in, the chat bar, and register for Serve. There was also an email that went out if you are receiving those weekly emails. So check out the link in the chat bar. As always, you can go to unionchapel.com click on events and get more information on Serve Week. Well, I wanna talk about giving for just a moment. 
You know, although our on-campus in-person meetings have suspended, there are still fixed expenses that go to make the ministry that happens here at Union Chapel a regular thing. We will continue to support people around the country financially that are doing valuable work, our church plants here and there, and the amazing work that God is doing through this online service that we believe will spread throughout our community and possibly even affecting people around the world. We wanna say thank you to those of you that give online already. And if you haven't taken a moment to do that, there'll be a link that we'll drop in the chat bar where you can give. And we wanna say thank you for your financial contributions to continue the ministry of Union Chapel. Thanks so much for your faithful gifts. We love you, we're for you, and we believe that the best is yet to come. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Jesus, we thank you. We honor you, we love you. And in the moments that we're facing right now as a country, we lean into what you want to say to us right now in living rooms and places all around the country. People are gathering for church online. And I pray that this would be a moment where we can experience you, your love, your grace, your faithfulness. So meet each and every one of us right where we are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Good morning, church. My name is Greg Paris. We're so glad you're joining us online today for services at Union Chapel. Um, this, is a, this is an historic experience that all of us are having. It's very unique. Maybe some of you are anxious or afraid or a little panicked. Could I just reassure you for a moment? God is sovereign in the universe. He is on the throne. He is not worried. He's not wobbled by any of these events in our culture and our world. And so I want you to be at peace. Peace of God rules in our hearts, our minds, because Jesus Christ is with us. He's promised never to leave us nor forsake us. So be encouraged. Encourage one another. Be prudent. Be smart. We will look back on these days and we will declare God has been faithful to us. And so I hope that you're doing okay and I hope you're well. We're praying for you. Of course, uh, President Trump has issued special invitation for everyone today to be in prayer, a national day of prayer. And so we want to enjoin that effort. We appreciate his leadership and of course the leadership that, that our vice president and good friend Mike Pence, our fellow Hoosier, is providing to this, uh, to this attack on this virus. And so we'll get this behind us uh, in some, some order, we hope sooner rather than later. So thanks for joining us today. Uh, today I'm gonna begin a series, it's, it's the season of Lent. 
We are celebrating the weeks just prior to Easter. And so we're gonna be studying the life of Jesus and these last hours of his life on the earth, his passion. And in so doing, I think we can learn much about ourselves and it would be a great encouragement to our faith. This is a great series to invite some friends over to enjoy church together. I hope you'll do that. And we will continue to worship together online. I feel your warmth and your support. Thank you for being with us today. We're glad you're here. We've chosen as our text for this morning, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. Matthew 26, and I'm going to read for us verses 6 through 16. So I know you're turning in your Bibles there. Of course, we'll project the words on the screen as well. Um, and I know what your impulse is right now. You want to stand. And let me just invite you to stand as you're able. Of course, no one is there to check if you're following along, but I hope that you will. Matthew chapter 26, and we begin at verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. And when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And then this next section, another example. Then one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. May God inspire and instruct us today through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. This series that we're beginning uh, today is entitled Instead of Me. We know that Jesus was denied. He was betrayed. He was put on trial. He suffered. He died a cruel death. And he did that for us. He did it for me, did it for you. And so Instead of Me is the title of this, uh, this series. And I hope that we can see ourselves in these stories and find reason to make the application in our lives. Some of you've got your uh, outline in front of you. I know you've uh, checked the Union Chapel app. You've got it there in front of you and you're ready to fill in the blanks. Well, here's the first point. I just have a two point sermon today. The first one is this, what's your price? What's your price? First exhibit from our text today is a woman named Mary. We know where Jesus is. He's in Bethany. He's at the home of Simon the leper. Simon is a man who was leprous. Jesus healed him of his leprosy. And so they are there fellowshipping in that home just days before the Passover begins. And Mary, we learn from the other gospels, is actually the Mary of the sister of Lazarus. And they also are from Bethany. So they're from the same village, they're there. And Mary does an extravagant thing. She takes an alabaster jar full of very expensive perfume and she breaks it. This is like, this is like a family treasure, 
something that you would hold from generation to generation because it is so expensive, it is so important, so valuable. Uh, some speculate that, that this would be as much as a $10,000 bottle of perfume. Now, if you have a $10,000 bottle of perfume, please don't tell me about it. I don't wanna know that. And don't tell my wife. So, so, so she has this very expensive alabaster jar full of perfume and she breaks it. Apparently this is the only way to get into this thing. She breaks it and she pours it all over Jesus' head. One of the other gospels says she, she pours it on his feet, wiping his feet with her hair, bathing him in her tears. It's a very, very powerful, very poignant moment. The disciples immediately bristle. They said, what are you doing? What a waste, they said. Judas actually gives voice to this, but they are, they're all involved in it. They said, this could have been sold and the money given to help the poor. And so they're, they're defensive about this. They're angry about it. They're judgmental toward this woman. And so verse 10, aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She's done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. So Jesus wasn't saying the poor aren't important. He was just saying, look, there'll be plenty of opportunity to care for them, but I won't always be here. By pouring this perfume on my body, she has prepared me for burial, he said. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So it's a very important moment, which Jesus acknowledges, very powerful. So we ask the question, if you ask Mary, what is your price? What would she say? What would she say? Well, she would say, well, my price is at least $10,000 worth of costly perfume, as much as a year's wage. Uh, what's my price? How about everything? How about anything for Jesus' sake? I'd do anything for him. He means everything to me. And so we understand her price. Now there's a second exhibit from our text today, and this is a man called Judas. We find Judas at the Last Supper, and during that event, Jesus says, someone here is gonna betray me. Now, it's important to, to note that all of the gospels refer to this, and there's a, a moment where you wonder, gosh, this is what an awkward moment, but it doesn't seem awkward. It's almost as if Jesus says it, you know, just passing by, you know, someone here is gonna betray me, and folks go, well, it could happen, I suppose. But it gets more poignant, more important. Jesus says, the one to whom I give bread. And so he dips bread and hands it to Judas. But still it's not, there's a betrayer among us and it's him. That's not, not, not the setting, not, not the spirit of it. And, and Jesus says again, you know, pretty soon all of you will betray me. All of you are gonna leave me. And that now they're paying attention to this. And they say, well, it can't be me. I surely it's not I. Um, and, so, and so they kind of check their hearts and check their motives in the midst of all that. So the story is told in one of the 12, the man called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests, said, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they weighed out 30 pieces of silver for him. And from that time, he started looking for a good opportunity to betray him. 30 pieces of silver. We're asking the question, what's your price? 30 pieces of silver, that's about 7,500 bucks in today's currency. Uh, and let's just imagine Judas for a moment. 
Judas wasn't a bad guy. In fact, uh, you might imagine when Jesus says at the Last Supper, someone here is going to betray me, they, I mean, the other guys don't immediately look at him and go, well, it's going to be him. It wasn't that way. Judas was a notable guy. He was an honorable guy, it seems. He was trustworthy. I mean, they put him in charge of the currency. He was the group treasurer. You know, he held the purse. And so this indicated that others esteemed him or respected him or at least trusted him. And so we have this, we have this profile. And we, we shouldn't assume that he's just, you know, every chance he gets, he's running out, you know, and getting in trouble and partying. And he's, you know, he's a hypocrite and, and, and he can't be trusted. But just the opposite is true. So Jesus goes on to tell them, remind them that, look, all of you are going to fall away. All of you will fall away. In other words, Jesus is responding, replying to the disciples by saying, look, all of you have a price. All of you have a price. You need to determine what it is. At what price will you turn your back on me? It's a good question, isn't it? Can we make that application? Reminds me of the story I heard years ago attributed to Winston Churchill. The story goes like this, that he was trying to make a point about why England should never compromise to, to evil. And a newspaper reporter told him that he was an extremist and a warmonger. And so Churchill asked this reporter, he asked her, ma'am, if a king offered you a hundred million pounds to sleep with him, would you do it? And she thought for a moment and she said, yes, I would. Then Churchill asked her, would you sleep with me for 50 pounds? <laughs> And she said, Mr. Churchill, I am not a prostitute. To which he replied, with all due respect, ma'am, uh, we've already established what you are. I'm just trying to determine the price. Let me just say it for you. Whoa, wow, whoa. And the, the point is that we all have a price. A price is a price. The question being asked of the disciples is, what is your price? At what point do you sell out to Jesus? It's a good question. Peter, the most outspoken of them, said, I would never betray you. Never. I would die before I betray you. And of course, we all know that before the end of the evening, Peter will deny that he even knows Jesus. I never heard of him cursing as he does so. So what's your price? Years ago, uh, three or four of us uh, went to Kazakhstan. And back in those days, it was impossible for us to wire money to our team in Kazakhstan. And so as we traveled to Kazakhstan in small groups in those years, we would have to mule in cash to fund our nonprofit humanitarian aid company there and to support our team. And there was always a question of whether or not we should claim that cash that we were carrying at customs when we entered the country Claiming it, of course, is the legal thing to do. But if you claim it, the tendency back in those days, and this is before the airport was remodeled, and it was just, it's like a bad movie, you know, everything is just kind of dingy and dark. And, and you, know, you knew that there was nefarious activity going on around this customs office. And so if you claim this money, we knew that, that, that one of the officials would ask to see the money because everything is about a bribe and money being passed under the table. And this is how the economy, you know, 
continues to percolate in a lot of ways in the, in the former Soviet world. Thank God in America we don't have any money going under the table locally or in the state level or federal level. But in Kazakhstan, that's a problem. So, so we knew that that was an issue. So do we claim this money? And I was carrying about $6,500 on my person, you know, on a pouch underneath my, my clothes. And we just decided as a group, because we had about $25,000 between us, we decided we would claim it. So we wrote it down in, at, in, at the customs as we entered the country and, and they wanted to see it. We had to pull it all out. And here's this custom officials counting it out, out on this table. Everybody can see it. We, you could just feel the eyes of people who have bad intentions toward you, you know. And so we reminded each other, stick together when we get in the parking lot until we get with our friends and get in the car and get out of here. And so it was just kind of, kind of tedious that way and, and, uh, and nerve wracking. Well, two weeks passed, we were leaving. We're back in customs uh, 40 minutes from our flight back to the United States. And we turn to our customs forum and the, and the customs agent looks at me and says, where's this money? And I said, well, we gave it to our friends, uh, our company that we own here, humanitarian aid company uh, to, in order to do our business. And the customs agent looked at me and said, so you don't have the money? I said, no, we gave it to our people here, our company. And so then he looked at me and he said, well, where's your receipt from your company? Well, none of God's children had a receipt <laughs> either. We could have made one up in the parking lot before we got there, but no, we didn't have one at that point. And, and so he's now putting the pressure on. He takes our four passports and walks away from us, goes into another room. We don't see him again for over an hour. He sends armed guards out to stand next to us. He, he, he sends another representative out and says, you, you guys are in trouble. And uh, we're going to have to detain you. You're going to miss your flight. You may have to serve time in jail. You may have to see, go before a court. This is very serious. And um, they were really putting a squeeze on. And we all knew the game. The, the game was, we're going to get a bribe from you or we're not going to let you go because we got you. You don't have a receipt for this money. And it was very tense. It was, I described the story and you, and you, you know, you may go, yeah, that sounds kind of interesting. No, it wasn't interesting at all. It was scary. It's very scary. And, and in my mind, I was ready. I was ready to pay this guy anything. I was going to empty my pockets. You know, you like my watch? Here's my watch. I was ready to give him anything I had available in order for him to let me get on the plane and come home. And Stevie Nanks, who was our leader at the time, he was watching all this through a window, you know, and he finagled his way into this. He shouldn't have been able to, but he got in there and he made an appeal, you know, using some Kazakh and Russian language. And finally they realized we're not going to give him a bribe. And so they let us go. I got on the plane and I rehearsed what had just happened to me. And I felt very bad. I felt very bad because I found out where my line was. I found out what price I'm willing to pay up to. And I realized that when it was my behind on the line, I was willing to cave in. Anybody can talk a big game, can't they? Yeah. So what's your price? You ever thought about it? Maybe you're willing to follow Jesus when it's convenient, but at what point do you stop following Jesus? Maybe you downplay your commitment to Jesus in front of your friends because you don't want them to 
mock you or thinks you as a person who's strange. Yeah. Maybe it's an area of your life you aren't just ready to surrender to God. Maybe God has told you to go somewhere or do something and you're resisting him. Maybe God's asked you to go to Ecuador to visit our team there this summer, but you've been hesitant. Maybe uh, it's gonna be joining one of our church plants someday. You're not sure you're a little reluctant. Maybe, maybe God has called one of your kids to do something and you don't wanna let them go. She talked to my mother about that. She wrestled with God over my life for months and months. She has a great testimony about that as a, as a parent. Maybe God has convicted you of something like your music or your entertainment habits or certain relationships and you don't wanna give them up. For some of you, you know you should not be living with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, shouldn't be sleeping together. You know it's wrong, but you have your limits. There's some place you won't go in order to serve Jesus. For some of you, you know you work too much. You neglect your family as a result. Never take a Sabbath, does damage. Maybe he's calling you to put him first in your finances and trust him with a tithe and becoming a generous giver. You're resisting him, you know, I have my limits. I serve Jesus up to a point, can't go there. Maybe it's simply committing to the church. We're, we're constantly opening doors of opportunity, uh, just lowering the threshold, just making it as easy as possible to connect here. And God's been calling you, go to discover class, volunteer to serve somewhere, you know, get involved in a small group. For some of you, it's just as simple as getting off your blessed assurance and getting in the game, doing something. You know, we have, we have this uh, incredible strategic vision and intentionality and investment in children's ministry. We, we know the numbers. We know that children are coming to faith now and, and are, are the most receptive to the gospel in our entire culture. And that, that age group is getting younger and younger. And we know in order to secure the next generation of faithful followers of Jesus, we've got to reach them now as children. So we're, we've gone to all these extremes. We've got this spectacular staff of people and great volunteers, a core of volunteers. We've got facilities that are just first class. We're remodeling the junior church. That'll be done in a few months. We just wanna make it as inviting and as fun as we possibly can. And guess what? We don't have enough people volunteering to help. That's a, that's a head scratcher for me. You know, I can get up and preach, you know, we've gotta reach this generation of kids and, and folks go, yeah, that's right. We've gotta reach these kids. And then nobody steps up to do it. Amazing to me. As I say, I'm a head scratcher. You know, you should, but you don't because it feels inconvenient. And you like the freedom that comes with being non-committed. Your commitment to Jesus stops at inconvenience. That's the price you're willing to pay. Maybe it's getting baptized. A few weeks ago, we baptized 20 adults in our weekend services. There isn't a more beautiful experience you will ever have in your life than watching that sacrament being exercised. Whatever it is, that's your price. That's where your commitment to Jesus stops and you're willing to sell him out. And we all have a price. We all have a price. I've just told you what mine was at least a few years ago. It's interesting uh, when Mark 
tells the story of his disciples in Gethsemane the night of the betrayal. Uh, and we are pretty sure that this is referring to Mark. And Mark refers not in the first person, but just describes in the third person, a young man, when officials come in the garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus, they grab this young man. And in order to get away, he leaves his clothes behind. So he runs out of the garden of Gethsemane naked. I mean, it's in, it's in Mark's gospel. And we're pretty sure he's talking about himself. He just, you know, he's a little too modest to say, yeah, it was me. I was streaking through the garden of Gethsemane the night of the betrayal. And so you, you just want to wonder, why, why would God put that in the Bible? Why is that an important detail? Well, one thing is it's interesting. I mean, you got to admit, anytime you're telling a story and somebody runs through it naked, I mean, you got to include that in the story. I mean, for example, if someone just ran through, ran through church today naked, well, I guess this, well, this would be the perfect day to run through church naked. <laughs> no one would see you. There's no one here. It's amazing. You, yeah, you just missed your chance. <laughs> That's great. But there's a second reason we might have this, this streaker in Mark's gospel. Many commentators think that this is a picture of a naked man fleeing from the Garden of Gethsemane is a metaphorical picture of the human race. You remember Adam and Eve fled the Garden of Eden naked and ashamed. And so the whole human race is being depicted here. All of us, even Jesus' closest disciples has a, have abandoned him. Can, can you feel that? I hope you can. Jesus has nothing but loyalty for us, but for the right price, as it turns out, we all sell him out. He's never turned his back on us. He's never betrayed us. He's never Abandon us not once. Seems so easy for us. So again, let this sink in. I think Judas, Judas is easy to point a finger and go, what a bum, what a, what a bad guy. But Judas really represents us all. I mean, we get Judas, don't we? We understand him. Uh, maybe you haven't actually done what he did, but that's, probably because you weren't put in the same situation that he was in under the same pressures. But the same stuff is in our hearts as was in his heart. I'm pretty sure it's in mine. You see, the Bible teaches us that the reason some of us turn out better, better than others, has more to do with the restraining graces God has put in our lives than it does some inherent goodness in us. I want you to think about this. Sometimes when I hear the stories of people who've really messed up their lives, you know, just they, they stumble and fall and I mean, all the way to prison, you know, that sort of thing. You just think about folks like that and you wonder, but then you hear some of their stories and you hear about the pain and the dysfunction and sometimes the abuse they went through growing up. And then I wonder, I wonder if I had grown up in similar conditions, if I would have made similar decisions. Now I'm not trying to make excuses for people doing bad things, or that they shouldn't be held accountable for those things. I'm just saying that God put so many graces and privileges in my life that I had absolutely nothing to do with that I can't take any credit for. I mean, I had good parents who loved me. I had examples of a character-filled life lived out before me and the people around me. I never faced poverty or the kind of discrimination that pushes people to extreme actions. I was taught the word of God from my childhood. 
Those were all gifts to me. So my question is, do I have reason to boast because of that? You know, say, say a friend and I decide we're going to go rob a bank and a third friend of ours, he finds out about it and he grabs us and he says, no, I'm not going to let you do it. And my other friend actually pulls away. He, get, he tears his shirt and gets away from my friend. He goes off and robs the bank, gets caught, gets thrown into prison, but I didn't get away. I was restrained from robbing the bank. So do I take credit for that? Can you really feel proud about that? This is what God has done in my life. He put graces that kept the sin in my heart from actually destroying me. The same stuff that was in Judas is in me. Yet, even with all these graces, I still had a price whereby I sold Jesus. Betrayal and a willingness to sell Jesus out for a price was actually in my heart. Just as it was in Judas's heart. So the whole human race is being depicted here. All of us, even Jesus' closest disciples, have abandoned him. This is what happened. And at the end of the day then, this is what we realize. Our salvation is solely by God's grace. It's just all about God's grace. On the screen, you can see Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace have you been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, lest any man should boast. So let me, let me put this other statement on the screen. We're not saved because of how committed we were to Jesus, but because of how committed he was to us. That's where you say amen. Say, you should say it in your house. You should say it wherever you are. Thank God. Thank God for his amazing grace. Nothing that we have done, everything he has done, not because we're committed, sold out completely to him, no, but rather because he's totally committed to us. Praise be to God. Well, let me just add quickly then the second point. And we'll bring this in for a landing. Why did Judas betray Jesus? Why did he betray him? Well, the short answer was he was disappointed with Jesus. Judas had expectations about the Messiah that didn't get realized. The, the boys were, the society, the culture was expecting Messiah to come in and liberate them from Roman oppression, to take from them all the injustice and the wrongs that had been done against them. Uh, Peter had issues with Jesus. He even called him the devil in Luke 6. You know, Thomas had his doubts. All these guys wondered about Jesus. One of the most amazing scenes in the entire New Testament is in Matthew 28, just two ver chapters over. And this is the, the, the moment of the ascension. Jesus takes the disciples to the Mount of Olives and he's there and he's, he's saying goodbye. He's, he's been resurrected now for 40 days. And he's appearing to many over those 40 days. He's met with these guys off and on. He's ate with them. He's talked with them, had conversation. Now he takes them up on this Mount of Ascension and he's in his glorified, resurrected body. He's, he's standing on the mountain. He says goodbye and he starts floating, ascending. He starts going up. Here's one of the most amazing scriptures in the entire Bible. Listen to this, listen to this carefully. This is Matthew 28, verse 17. It says, when they saw it, they worshiped him. Now that's easy to get, isn't it? Yeah, you see the resurrected Lord Jesus, you saw him dead 40 days earlier, he was dead. Three days after that, he's back alive. We've been seeing him off and on now for 40 days. 
It's amazing. And now he's levitating up to heaven. He's ascending to God. And so you get this, when they saw it, they worshiped him. Here's the next phrase. Listen to this, it's amazing. When they saw it, they worshiped him, but some doubted. <laughs> what? Really? Some doubted? Ah, that's, that's hard. Guys, he's floating in the air. I, 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 don't, I can't believe that. <laughs> Who are these people? The problem was Jesus was still confusing them. He's trying to, get, trying to get in this mind. Why had he not overthrown the Romans? Why was there still suffering and injustice and oppression? These are real questions. And like most Jews, Judas had assumed a couple of things about Messiah. They were waiting on Messiah to deliver them from this wicked oppression. And, and they had been crying out for deliverance and they expected that this would be the profile of Messiah. Jesus first announced that he's Messiah when he goes into the temple one day early in his ministry, and this is reported in Luke chapter four, and he sits down with the scroll of Isaiah and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the good news and to release of captives, the recovery of sight of the blind, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And when the Jews heard this, they go, hey, he's talking about us. This is great. And they warm to him after the service. They're patting him on the back. Hey, you're going to make a good preacher for us. This is going to be fantastic. But as his ministry unfolded, they discovered that Jesus' message wasn't all about that. That he goes on to explain how in Israel's history, God always showed compassion to the people that Israel considered outsiders and even enemies. So instead of showing up to punish evil and reward the insiders, Jesus came preaching grace to the outsiders and the Jews didn't get it. They didn't like it. They didn't respond well to it. So when you think you're a rule follower, like the Jews are trying to be, nothing makes you matter than when God rewards those who don't follow the rules like you do. What do you mean love everybody, even the Gentiles, even the Romans? Jesus said, yeah, that's the, that's the new standard. And it puzzled people, it disturbed people. So the crowd listening to Jesus that day, reminding them that, hey, God's always been open arms to the enemies of Israel. Uh, they went from patting him on the back to, and the scripture said they rose up, drove him out of the town, brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him off the cliff. Now, I'll confess I've had some reactions to sermons, but I've never gotten that one. Take him out and kill him. Uh, here's... Here's what happened. It says, but passing through their midst, he went away. Now, how did he pull that off? I mean, they got him by the collar. There's a crowd. There's a mob. They got him surrounded. They're dragging him to the cliff. And it says, but he passed through their midst. He went away. I'm not sure how he pulled that off. I'm thinking some kind of Jedi mind trick. You know, I am not the droid you're looking for. And he's gone. Poof. <laughs> I don't know. Jesus' message was that <laughs> all of us, at our very best, fall short, and we need a savior. Jesus just didn't really understand who Jesus was. Judas struggled with the whole message. So Judas thought that the Messiah would give him the good life. What he didn't understand is that knowing Jesus is the good life. Yeah. Judas says, if Jesus is not going to get me riches and power and health and wealth, what good is he? Contrast that with Mary. 
Think about the words to this beautiful hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. The last stanza says this, were the whole realm of nature mine. If I owned the whole world, that were a present far too small. Wouldn't be enough to give to him. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. If you say, God, this, is, this may not be my preference and this may hurt like crazy, but if you can use this to help me know you more, and if you can use this for your glory to help others know you, I'll take it. Because knowing you is a better treasure than an easy life. If that's your perspective on the gospel, and the passion of Jesus Christ, then you're just like Mary. But if you get angry with God, you say, if you don't make, if you don't make my loved one whole again, if you don't cure me of my, my disease, if you don't give me a boyfriend, if you don't give me a raise, whatever it is, then you're not worth following. Jesus is only a means to an end to you, then you identify with Judas. Wow. Well, we bring this in to a close now. I have a feeling that some of you are at a crossroads this weekend. There are so many, so many things going on. This is such a, such a weird, difficult, challenging time. Some of you are confused. Some of you are going through a period where you feel like you've been wronged or times are hard for you, you're fearful, maybe you're angry with God. Some of you are asking, are you really worth following Jesus? And let me just say that Jesus is worth following. Not because of what he can give you, but because of who he is, because of the hope that he alone can provide and the peace that passes all understanding no matter what's happening in your life. I want to just uh, take a moment now to pray with all of you and ask you to contemplate these things. Come to terms with your own journey, your own faith, the spiritual condition of your life. Are you as close to Jesus as you want to be? You know, he's done everything for us. Betrayed, rejected, denied, Abandoned instead of me, instead of you. He's done it all. So let's pause and pray and give him thanks. Remember, friend, that Judas represents a religious approach to God. I serve God to get things from God, and I expect to be rewarded for my behavior. Mary, on the other hand, is the person who understands the gospel. I deserve nothing, but God has given me everything in Christ, and Christ is a treasure worth losing everything for. The praise for Mary is incredible. Her sacrifice meant so much to Jesus that he memorializes her in the gospel. He said, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. The verdict on Judas is devastating. I have to admit, it still sends chills through my body. Jesus said about Judas, it would have been better for him if he had not been born. Oh my. So this morning, oh God, we pause to say thank you. Thank you that all of these things were done to you instead of me. Betrayed, denied, abandoned, 
instead of me. So Lord, we pause now to offer our lives afresh and anew in service to you. Jesus, we acknowledge you as our life, our hope, our peace, our confidence. In trying times, oh God, you're our source. And so we look to you, surrender our lives afresh into your care. Lord, hear our prayer today in Jesus' wonderful name. And all the people everywhere said, amen, amen.
in honor of President Trump's request to have a national day of prayer. Let's pause and pray just before we receive the blessing. Lord, we come to you today and we join our voice with the millions of others in America and across our world today. And we thank you for your abiding presence, the peace that that provides and the sure hope that you alone can provide to us. Lord, we pray for those who are distressed today, confused, hurting, afraid. We pray that your peace would settle upon them. We're reminded, oh God, that you've not given us a spirit of fear, uh-uh, but of love and power and a sound mind. And Lord, as, uh, as dark as this may be for some, some are actually physically suffering and hurting. We pray for your healing grace, your sustaining grace. We call on you and thank you. Lord, we also know that what the enemy sends to try to destroy us, you always turn for good. And that one of, one of the days we will look back on this and we'll say, look how faithful God was and look what he's turned good out of. We, we believe that today. And we, we simply rest our hope and confidence then in you. You do all things well. You're a strong tower into which we can run. You're our hope. You're our peace that passes understanding. So thank you for these wonderful promises and thank you for being with us. So we receive your blessing now, Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, your family, your home, your place of business, our community. His countenance shine upon us and give us his peace in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Have a great day, everyone. We love you.